So we're going to continue talking about multiplying disciples. This is a series that we've been doing. This is the sixth week, the final week, before we take a break for Christmas. And we're going to come back to it in a slightly different way in January. But we're talking about multiplying disciples, making new disciples. And today I want to talk about what is the church's role in this. And what about the church? How does the church fit into this really important um, role that we have as believers to make other disciples What's the church got to do with multiplying disciples? Um, and, you know, there's been an awful lot of talk over the last 20 years or so uh, in the so-called, especially the seeker-sensitive movement about how to make the church more attractive to believers. I don't know if you've caught up with any of this. And the implication being in some of this uh, teaching is that the reason people are not becoming Christians is because of the church. And so there are some things that we need to change about church and how we do church so that unbelievers will feel more welcome and so that they won't feel awkward at all uh, amongst us. So, for example, if we're going to attract the lost, apparently we're going to need to get a lot better at communicating. Uh, So sermons must be no longer than 20 minutes. They have to be funny, engaging and entertaining. And if we're really serious about this, we need to keep away from some of the more awkward subjects like sin, hell, repentance, or Jesus is the only way to God, mustn't say that. They don't like hearing that kind of stuff. And worship, well, it needs to be really cool. Um, It needs to be lively, upbeat, led by talented and attractive musicians. And it's going to need plenty of good lighting and state-of-the-art effects. Don't bother with the spiritual gifts stuff, especially tongues, because that really freaks people out. And prophecy just makes our guests uncomfortable, so don't do that either. And churches need to have excellent facilities, expertly run nurseries, kids work so that parents can just get a break on a Sunday morning. And youth, they need to be entertained, fast-paced, state-of-the-art, we don't want them getting bored at church with Jesus or anything like that. And uh, we haven't even touched on the building yet. I mean, these must be spiritual buildings, but not religious, with Starbucks-quality coffee, air-conditioned, staff who wear uniforms. I mean, who needs people that serve anyway when we can pay somebody else to do it, yeah? So, no, we're told we have to major on the experience of church and make it comfortable, inviting, and as non-threatening as possible. And then we will have growth. And the hope is that when people get these good experiences, some of them might even decide to become Christians. Or at least people with uh, better people with all this self-improvement teaching that they get. Okay, so I know I've just gone on a bit of a rant here. Um, And it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, this is some of the stuff that has been said. And and it's not all wrong, actually. Uh, I mean, I think quality is important. And we're very blessed, aren't we, as a church, by the attractive and talented worship teams that we have. So, um, especially the new drummer. I mean, wasn't he cool? I mean, yeah. But the underlying message of the whole thing, I've got to say, I I just think it's just wrong. Because fundamentally, the church is not for unbelievers. It's for believers. You know, unbelievers are not meant to feel comfortable in the body of Christ, but convicted of the sin that they're in. 
You know, their experience of church should only convince them of their separation from God, of their exclusion from the body of Christ. The church, I mean, the word church, the ecclesia, means the called out ones, belonging to God. So by definition, it's not a place that the unsaved are going to feel that they belong. Not that unbelievers are unwelcome, they definitely aren't. It's just that we shouldn't expect them to feel comfortable and entirely at home because they can't be unless they too are citizens of heaven. It's interesting that Paul describes the experience of an unbeliever when they drop in on the church meeting. I mean, that's literally the the, the language he's using. He's talking about if an unbeliever drops in on you, and he's saying he doesn't expect that experience to be a comfortable one for them. He says if an unbeliever or an inquirer just drops in on the church while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. Now, I don't think that's a very comfortable experience. It says that the secrets of their heart will be laid bare, and then they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, oh my God, he's really here. I don't think that's meant to be comfortable. I don't think that's meant to be, I feel really at home with this. It's actually quite an uncomfortable experience. And so today, I want to challenge your thinking about church, its role and purpose in making new disciples. I want to challenge years of thinking for some of you about church. There's a place where unbelievers can be accommodated or even where they should be persuaded to come. And uh, some of this may be controversial. It will certainly be provocative. I want to make you think. And... uh, I really asked the Lord to give me a much happier sermon for today, but he just kept giving this one to me. And, and I want to show you that making new disciples is not about bringing people to church. Honestly, it's about the church going to the people. And we need to change that mindset. I think God needs to do something in our hearts to change that mindset. I mean, it has always been about going. You do know that, don't you? It has always been about going, as Simon was showing us so masterfully through the whole Bible last week. I'm going to do it in two minutes. Um, He showed us us last week that the mission of God has always been about going. You know, the creation command, go out and multiply. The command to Noah, go out and multiply. The command to Abraham, go out to a place I'll show you, and you'll multiply like the sand on the beach, like the stars in the sky. And then Jesus, I mean, he was sent, and then he sent out all the disciples everywhere for all time. He commanded them to go in the Great Commission, which, as you see, was played out in the early church, starting in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go. And then Paul He went. He went to the Gentiles. He went out to other nations, advancing the gospel through most of the known world of his time. Some even think he may have reached the shores of England, but he definitely went to Europe. And the command has always been to go, but so often we've told people to come. We've so often said, come to us. Come to the church, come to the meeting. You may feel awkward. We may feel embarrassed, but come anyway, because eventually you might like it. Just saying. But it's not about coming. I've been in countless church meetings over the years where there's been a lot of pressure put upon people to invite unbelievers to church. I've been made to feel guilty about it a really rubbish Christian for rarely inviting any of my work colleagues to a Sunday meeting. 
And because of this, I felt an inadequate witness despite the many conversations as I now see the day-to-day discipleship I've done over the many years. And I, and I realized in retrospect that I was, not, I was quite right uh, not to invite people to church at that time because the church isn't primarily for unbelievers. I mean, where does it say in the Bible? Genuinely, I have been looking for this verse all the way through the Bible the last few weeks because I didn't want to preach this sermon. I, I mean, where does it say in the Bible, go into all the world and make people come to church? No, I couldn't find it either. Or, or go into all the world and invite people to come and hear your pastor preach because he is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> or go into all the world and see our really attractive worship team. It's just not there. It's not in the Bible, and I've looked for it really hard, but it's not there. I can't find a single passage that tells us to invite people to church. I can't even find a parable that I could twist into that. In fact, the one parable I came across was, it's not going to work very well unless you go out to the people you don't want to come to church. You know, the poor and the difficult and the awkward, they're going to come. (laughs) But your friends, they probably won't. (laughs) That's not very encouraging, is it? I'm telling you, I'm trying to provoke you here. Feel free to get provoked at any time. Um, but it says over and over again, and all of the message of the Bible is go out into all the world and tell them the good news about Jesus. And of course, when you realize our identity together as church, it's no wonder unbelievers might find it hard to fit in. I mean, let, let me just remind you of what the church is about. I know you know, and I know you haven't forgotten, but... This is the way that the Bible describes the church, and we are the church of Jesus Christ. You know that, don't you? It says, we are the people of God. That's the first thing. We are the people of God. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I mean, think about what it's like to be in a completely different country, a foreign country, amongst different people with different cultural expressions, different language, a different understanding of how you live, how you relate to one another. I was just saying last week I was in Russia, and we had amazing interpreters. They could tell us everything that people were saying, and they interpreted every aspect of what we were doing for us. But I couldn't fully get and understand the culture. I couldn't understand what it meant to be Russian. I liked what I saw, but I couldn't be Russian. I was a foreigner there, and they were, and I was a foreigner to them too. And we are foreigners here on earth. That's what the Bible says, that we are citizens of heaven, forgiven and identified with one another as the people of God. And that's got to feel foreign to people that aren't part of that. People that are unsaved, and and I don't think we should dial that down. So that's the first thing. We are the people of God. The second thing, we are the family of God. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. I mean, think about what it's like to gate crash somebody else's family party or even a family meal where you don't know anyone or have any relationship with them. Or supposing you go into a family that 
have very wealthy and powerful parents. You know, supposing you turn up and you find out that your friend is related to the Queen of England. Supposing you go in and you find out that actually you're sitting in a royal household. I mean, what paradigms would have to shift in your thinking? What understanding would that undo? Your experiences wouldn't be able to relate to that. Well, do you know what? The family of God are royal. (laughs) We are royal and we are very privileged. We have a close familial relationship with one another and the king of all kings. So how could an outsider begin to connect with that unless God has already been drawing that person to themselves? Uh, I mean, you do know that nobody can come to the Father unless he draws them. You did know that, didn't you? That nobody desires God. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. Nobody desires them unless he himself has already been working on their heart. Which kind of makes the nonsense of the whole idea of seeker sensitive. The only seekers are the people of God, actually. Who are seeking after him, pursuing him, running after him. And thirdly, we are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And each of us, you know, we have this incredible honor. We represent Jesus wherever we go. We are his ambassadors, authorized, deputized to be Christ to one another and to the world. This is an inexplicable mystery. So how can an unbeliever who has no concept, no part in this, may even be an enemy of Christ, far from him, fit in here, fit in with this? Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? Uh, Finally, we are a holy temple. We're a holy temple. Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. And members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You're no longer foreigners. You are no longer aliens from another planet. But fellow citizens and the temple of God where he lives. Now, one of the accusations I faced in the workplace is, ah, you know, you just think you're better than us. You're just so holier than thou, high and mighty. You know, what makes you think you're so holy? You make us sick. And actually, I never made a thing of being a Christian in that sense. I never judged people. I never looked down on them. Yet one occasion, my boss came to me and said, we'd... Could you please not come to the Christmas party this year? And I said, well, why? He says, well, you make people feel uncomfortable. And they want to get really drunk and do all kinds of stuff that we, we don't think you'd like. And I said, how do you know I wouldn't like it? <laughs> Actually, I did sneak in and I looked after people when they got very drunk. It's nothing that I ever said. I I didn't go out to do that. I think it was my boss, actually, that didn't want me to go because he felt uncomfortable. But you know that purity makes people feel impure. It makes them feel bad. It makes them feel judged. And often there is a reaction. I mean, how can sinful people feel comfortable about around the redeemed and the forgiven people of God filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit. 
He's, he's holy. You know that. You're filled with the holiness of God. So is it any wonder that unbelievers can sometimes find church a bit uncomfortable? Um, you know, church is for believers, and, and this may be controversial amongst other things, but I wonder if bringing people along too soon can put them back a bit on their journey simply because they don't understand what church is about. I wonder. I wonder. So how do we help unbelievers find Jesus then? If we can't just bring them to church and expect the church to do it for us, how are we going to help people find Jesus? And ultimately, we want everyone to become a part of the family of God and the church. That's what our heart is. So how do we help them? Well, there are other ways to introduce your unbelieving friends to Jesus. Firstly, it's discipleship. It's what we've been talking about. It's what we're going to keep talking about. And I want us to be confident in that, confident in our calling to disciple people that don't know Jesus yet. It starts with you. It starts with your life. It starts with your story. It starts with your relationship with God and that person. Your friends, praying for your friends, your commitment to them. It's about your faith. And it's about those who are praying with you. Now, perhaps in your small groups, in your life groups, that should be a feature of how we get together. Let's just talk about some of the people that we are uh, moving around with. That We want to pray that we can get to the next step with them. We've seen this, but we want to see that. We want to see them asking more. We want to see them um, having their own encounters with God. Hey, God, how about giving them some dreams that we can talk about? But don't put it all on the church. It's not wrong to bring unbelievers to church. Please don't hear that. I'm really worried that you might hear that today. But don't put it all on the church like some kind of superstitious thing. Oh, if I can only get them to church, something magic will happen. And they'll suddenly say, well, it might do. But only if that's what the Father is doing. You know, I could tell you loads of stories, the opposite of what I'm saying, where people come along and they encounter God. I'm working with a church in um, Sandwell at the moment, and they've literally got people passing the door at this time coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, coming into the church meeting and getting right with God, becoming Christians. That's it. It's that as well. Can we hold these things in tension? But it's not all about that. Don't just put it all on the church in some kind of superstitious, if only, it's over to them. We have a part to play in this, each one of us, in leading people to Jesus. And then there are things like Alpha, because that's not the same thing as bringing them to church. We, we, take, we take it out of the church context, out of the Sunday meeting. We go to where people are. We go to the pub. We run it in an in a Indian restaurant. We give people food. We make them feel welcome like that. And this is deliberately created for people to explore Christianity in a non-threatening way. I've done so many Alpha courses and seen lives changed over weeks <laughs> as they gradually get to know Jesus. Now, your friends can ask any questions that they like. We had one man on Alpha who was convinced that Jesus was a spaceman and that he had lots of aliens who helped him to spread the message of the good news everywhere in the universe. And we just listened to this guy, but by the end of the Alpha course, he said, oh, maybe he's not a spaceman. Maybe he is from another planet, though. Oh, yeah, you're so close. Um, 
So uh, that's what Alpha's for. It's a, it's a way that people can investigate the claims of Jesus in, in an objective way and get free food, but not free beer. I have mentioned this to Paul that the church aren't prepared to pay lot for lots of free beer. So Paul, if you want free beer, you need to speak to Paul. He'll, he'll pay for it for you. Um, that's part of his giving to the church. <laughs> So, Alpha, guest services are another way, especially at Christmas. We've got a Christmas carol service coming up, or Easter. I, I, you know, that's why I'm never worried about doing things differently in these services. It doesn't worry me that we're not being authentically, this isn't Jubilee. It doesn't bother me, actually, because I want people just to come in and hear the gospel in a way that they feel safe with and sing some carols as that's what they're expecting. That's fine. It's fine. If we did that every week, we'd have a problem because we weren't really being church then. But it's okay to change things around a bit, do readings at Easter, tailor things deliberately to the visitor, and believe that God can speak to them and that they will even encounter God through the church. I really believe that. Or other groups that are connected with the church are other ways in. Life groups, social events. You know, invite your friends to that to meet your other Christian friends. Um, parenting courses. We put on a parenting course too long ago now, but the people we had there, none of them were church people, and they got to hear the gospel in disguise. And we had some amazing conversation with those people. Toddler group, you know, the toddler group have gone up a few levels the last year or two. You know, they put prophetic, people are coming and saying, I think that might be me. This person that's described here, that, that's exactly what's happening to me. And that's leading to conversation after conversation and praying with people, just being a toddler group and supporting mothers in that place. Even Jubilee football, you know. That's not my thing. I, I'm not very good at it. Probably get in the way if I did it. But, you know, I'm prepared to cheer them on, you know. Um, but these are all access points to the church or opportunities for people to encounter Jesus through us, which kind of then begs the question, then, if, if that isn't what the church is about, what is the church for? What is it for when it comes to making new disciples? I'm so glad you asked that question, because that's where we're going to get to. So firstly, the church is for making disciple makers. That's the first thing. It's for making disciple makers. You know, if the church was a manufacturing company, it would only have one product, disciples, who then go and make disciples. Uh, I've shared this really uncomfortable quote with you before, but here it is. I'm going to do it again. Neil Cole wrote this. He says, ultimately, every church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is no good. Okay. But I took that very seriously two years ago, which is why we're talking a lot about discipleship. We need to make disciples that make disciples. So how do we make disciples like this? Well... We make strong, faith-filled, and confident believers who know who they are and know what they've got. That's the short answer. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are, and do you know who you've got? Do you know who you've got? You know, church is for believers, but it's not about being man-centered. 
It's about being God-centered. It's not about pleasing myself, but pleasing God. It's not about being served, but serving one another. The church is where we get to know God and learn how to be like Jesus. It's a place of accountability and obedience. It's a place of challenge and discipleship, a place of training and equipping so that we live transparent and godly lives that impact the world around us. Do you know, I absolutely loved it a few years ago. Mark, do you mind me just mentioning your name? I just have. So Mark Harrison, I love that man. We were doing culture in the church, and we're talking about creating a godly culture in the church. And Mark said, you know, I've been so impacted by this culture series. Treat one another like that at work. I said, absolutely. What we do here can be taken out there. What we learn here, how we learn to be, how we learn to do, we can do out there. And that's the kingdom of God being advanced, right there. Take your culture to work with you. Honor people. How about that? Why don't you just take some time? Alison told me this story recently about just encouraging somebody in her workplace. People don't get encouraged. They don't get encouraged. That's our culture. Let's do it out there. We do family here. What about family in the workplace? What does family do in the workplace? We take care of one another. We look out for one another. Am I getting you here? Are you, are you catching this? What we do here, who we are here, we take out there. Secondly, the church is for practice. It's for practice. And I had a bit of a crisis a couple of weeks ago about all this. Because I was sitting there listening to Becky Floyd doing an amazing job. Wasn't she amazing just a couple of weeks ago? And I was complaining to God saying, it's not fair, God. You, you've taken me out of the workplace. How can I come up with these stories now? I don't have these stories anymore. I've spent all my time with Christians. And I love being with unbelievers. But to get with unbelievers, I have to work really hard. It's not fair. And then he, he, he kind of pinned me to the seat and challenged me. He said, remember your task. Remember what I've called you to do, to go and equip the church. Now, it's in Ephesians 4, that's what you do. You go and equip. You equip people for works of service. You equip them to send them out. And I felt, especially God was putting his finger on the area of spiritual gifts, you know, prophetic stuff. We are a prophetic church. You know that, don't you? It's the flavor of this church is to be prophetic. Uh, but it's not just for in here. Um, we need to learn to use these gifts here but to take them out there. And I found it so many times in the workplace, I've seen so many miracles happen in the workplace because of that. And then in Russia last week, it was so kind of God, you know, a young girl came up to me and in faltering English told me that the Holy Spirit wanted me to know that I truly discipled all the churches there over those few days and that the effects of that discipling would be felt in all the churches and through all the people in those churches in the way that they live their lives. Isn't that kind of God? Because he knew I'd been wrestling with this. But I want to deliberately commission and, and, and uh, equip you with spiritual gifts to take them out into the world. Um, uh, for too long, I think that perhaps we've limited the use of spiritual gifts to a kind of entertainment on a Sunday. I think we have. And, and in fact, these gifts are to help us in our witness. Uh, church is a safe place to practice and actually, it's a harder place. It's actually harder to pray for the sick in church. And I wonder why that is. I've been, think, I've been feeling recently it's where well, you build up muscle here. You know, like when you're training, you build up muscle here in the church. So it's really easy to do out there. 
Try it. It really is easier to pray for the sick and to prophesy out there. Church is a safe place to practice. And secondly, church is for our stories. You know, it's a place where we go out from and come back to. Here we're built up and trained and encouraged, but then we're sent out and we return week after week with stories of all that God has been doing. And this is the model that Jesus used after sending out the 12 in Mark. Chapter 6, it says that they all return with their stories. And actually, there's some imagery in the language that, that is used in the passage. It talks about Jesus pulling them all together like they are fish in a fishing net, so that they are all back on him, focused back on him. They tell all these stories, but he pulls them all back to him. I think that's part of what we're called to do, is tell the stories of what God is doing everywhere. So encourage. Just a couple of weeks ago, somebody said to me, do you know what, we've all got stories that we need to be sharing. Please, can we find some space to share stories of stuff that's happening in our lives in some of these interactions? Let's do that. Let's share stories and news of all that God is doing through us as we travel around. I'd love it for that to be a growing feature of our meetings together that we're going to have to say, we haven't got time for all the stories of what God's doing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, I think it would be. Does anybody want to agree with me? I think that would be amazing that we're all queuing up week after week with stories of what God is doing through us. Amen. That's what we want. So that's it. That's the message that I've got for you. Um, And I just want to, I do genuinely, I want us to be provoked by this. I want us to get a bit uncomfortable. Maybe we've got too settled. What is church for? What is it about? What is my life for? What is my mission? Who's God calling me to speak to? Who's God calling me to disciple? How can we grow and reproduce? Mike, if you set out to build the church, he says there's no guarantee that you will make disciples. God's called us to make disciples, to make disciples here that then go and make disciples there make disciples outside. So let's take what we have here and take it out there, wherever God sends us. Go and make disciples.